If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Welcome to episode 236 of the Leading Learning Podcast, where we speak with Arlene Pytranton, Chief Executive Officer of the American Speech Language Hearing Association. ASHA is an organization we've often pointed to as a leader in the learning business, and Arlene, no doubt, deserves a significant portion of the credit for that. So Jeff, what do you and she talk about? Well, as you know, Salisa, ASHA is definitely a leader among professional societies in the learning business, and a significant part of the organization's focus right now is on the future of learning. So we talk about why that's such a focus right now and how ASHA is going about planning for the future, and we also try to ground that conversation in the organization's history as an education provider and how it got to where it currently is. Of course, this is also one of our many conversations taking place in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, and associations are facing their own particular set of challenges around education and otherwise. So I wanted to be sure to get Arlene's perspective as a leader and as a leader of an association in these challenging times. I think listeners will find both a great deal of inspiration as well as a great deal of practical, useful insight in this conversation. What reflection questions did you come up with for this episode? And as a reminder, listeners, you can find the reflection questions in the show notes, which are available at leadinglearning.com slash episode 236. So I'm going to focus on just one area for this episode, really The core of the discussion with Arlene is about the future of learning, and I think it can be hard to think about the future right now when we're just so deeply mired in our present situation. So I'd like to challenge listeners to ask themselves as they listen, what does the future look like for our learning business? What are the long-term implications of our current situation, and what do we need to be thinking about and planning for even as we have to address those pressing short-term needs. Yeah, it can indeed be hard to give the future the thought that it deserves when current times are so challenging. But hopefully this episode will give listeners a little mental space to do that. So let's roll the interview with Arlene Pytran. Hello and welcome to the Leading Learning Podcast. I'm Jeff Cobb, and today I'm very happy to be talking with someone with whom I always enjoy speaking, Arlene Pytranton. Arlene is Chief Executive Officer of the American Speech Language Hearing Association, or ASHA, an organization that serves more than 200,000 audiologists, speech language pathologists, and speech language and hearing scientists. I have wanted to have Arlene on the podcast for a while now because I've always thought of ASHA as an organization that is really at the forefront of embracing new approaches to learning, including, but not limited to, online learning. And I know Arlene's leadership has been critical to that being the case. So I'm looking forward to a really interesting conversation. But first, Arlene, welcome to the Leading Learning Podcast. Thank you, Jeff. It's really a pleasure to be joining you and speaking with you this afternoon. Well, like I said, I always enjoy our conversation, so definitely looking forward to this one. Before we dive in more deeply, I gave just a little bit of an introduction uh, for you there, but could you say just a a bit more about yourself and and also about ASHA? I'm happy to, and thanks for the opportunity. So um, first of all, ASHA is the uh, 
Scientific Membership and Credentialing Association for audiologists, speech-language pathologists, and speech-language hearing scientists. In a couple of years, uh, in 2025, we'll be celebrating our centennial. Um, we uh, have, at this point, a little over 211,000 members. About half of our members are practitioners in school settings, kindergarten through 12th grade. Another 40 to 45% are in healthcare settings, the range of inpatient and outpatient and home health settings. Um, and the remainder are either in uh, perhaps private practice or a university uh, setting or a research setting. So our, our members really um, impact folks' lives in terms of speech, language, hearing, swallowing, balance, uh, those kinds of related uh, skills truly from birth until the end of life. Um, so it's a very interesting um, and, and fulfilling field to be associated with. Uh, my background is that I actually come from the field. I am a certified speech-language pathologist by background. Uh, I worked in mostly healthcare settings for the first uh, couple of decades of my career. Uh, the final place where I worked was uh, an academic medical center, the George Washington University Medical Center in Washington, D.C. And there I sort of morphed more into um, a role in hospital administration. So that kind of uh, programmatic uh, development, uh, strategic planning, um, policy, uh, influencing systems approach to organizing and delivering services uh, was a skill set and an interest area that I was able to focus on at that point in my career. And then in the mid-1990s, had the opportunity to transition uh, to work at, at ASHA. So I've been on staff at ASHA for about 25 years now, and I've been CEO since 2004. Well, thanks for that additional background. And you know, one of the areas I uh, definitely want to focus on in this interview is ASHA's role as, a, as an education provider, as a provider of learning for the community that it serves. But even to pull back from there a little bit, I, I mean, obviously, you play a very important role in a, a lot of people's lives, um, a lot of people who play a, an important role in society. I know many associations right now are, are facing their, their own particular set of issues around how to serve their members and their broader audience effectively in in what are really challenging times uh, right now we're recording this uh, really during well what I hope is the height of the of the covid uh, crisis um, we'll, we'll see how that plays out but what kind of challenges is asha facing at this point and and maybe to you know to tie it into this particular podcast and our focus here um, in what ways are you hopefully seeing a little bit of a silver lining here and seeing this as a, as a learning opportunity? Well, Jeff, you're right. It, first of all, it's a really unusual, isn't a strong enough word. Uh, I think this really is an unprecedented time in terms of the extent of the changes and disruptions that we're experiencing. They really uh, cut across all sectors. They cut across all areas of the globe. So the scope and the magnitude and the seriousness of this public health crisis that we are all trying to understand and navigate through um, can't be underestimated. I think for ASHA, like many, uh, maybe all uh, associations, 
our challenge is to um, uh, understand what are our members' most pressing needs uh, and how can we help them. So um, a couple of weeks ago, you know, things have changed so quickly. Um, we began planning uh, in kind of incremental steps. Um, how, how do we go fully remote? Um, we as, as ASHA as a workplace have a lot of experience with some of our staff, many of our staff working remotely some of the time, but no one working remotely all of the time and no one team working all remotely on the same day. So there was some planning and leading up. And so our first priority was uh, making sure that we could be fully operational on an all remote basis. Um, and I'm happy to say we were able to accomplish that in a really short turnaround of a matter of a couple of days. Uh, and we're a staff of about 300. Um, we also are very committed to operating in a socially responsible manner. So we wanted to make sure that our staff were safe and that we were being good citizens in the community where we're located. So as, as soon as we had that assurance that we were operational, because if we're not operational, we can't be in touch with our members and we can't be addressing our members' needs. So then we turned our attention to understanding what our members' most pressing needs were. And uh, we were hearing from our members, so it wasn't a mystery. So um, it was clear to us that uh, one of the most pressing needs that our members had is that I mentioned a very, a very large percent of our members work in either educational settings, school settings, or healthcare settings. And those were settings that were going through very rapid changes um, with uh, closures and uh, requests to uh, go into virtual modes of service delivery. And uh, there are um, variations in terms of uh, how easily and how effectively one can transition one's services uh, from a, physical, a predominantly physical mode to an entirely virtual mode. So within our field, there are some of our members who are uh, who have been providing services through telehealth, telepractice, uh, teleeducation for some period of time, but it's a relatively small percent of our members. So many of our members were looking urgently for information to help them learn about and understand how to effectively, what services can effectively be delivered uh, remotely, what, uh, how does one do that, what kind of equipment does one need, and they're also trying to do that within a, this really complicated framework of uh, oftentimes state-specific regulations, uh, setting-specific requirements, and uh, if payors are involved, variations across uh, different insurance payors. So there was a lot of complexity and a lot of information, um, and I'm really proud to say that uh, all of ASHA's staff have more than stepped up. Uh, we have cre we have done a I think outstanding job of uh, making existing information uh, easily accessible to highlight it and make it easily accessible and to develop um, new and additional information uh, on sometimes on almost an hourly basis as we're monitoring external regulations, pulling together uh, new and updated resources. Um, most of those resources are 
there's a huge amount of learning going on. Most of those resources are being made available on a, on a free basis. Um, we are turning out some additional webinars um, for CE uh, credits. Um, we'll probably make them available at no cost to our members given the nature of the need they have now. Um, and another thing that we will be actually announcing um, later this afternoon is we have a relatively new subscription option for ASHA members to subscribe to what's called the ASHA Learning Pass, where for a flat fee, they have access to all of our um, learning products. Um, we are going to make that available to members for the coming months at no fee. We're going to waive the fee because we know many members are in a heightened need for access to um, acquisition of new knowledge and information. And we also know that many of our members are not going to be able to uh, earn their continuing education requirements to maintain their certification or their state licensure by going to um, in-person events that they might have previously planned to that are now canceled. Um, and we want to make sure that they have access to other opportunities to be able to continue their continuing education and professional development requirements without interruption. Well, I, I take from all of that that um, that really, you know, ASHA is staying very committed to, to its mission and to its vision, uh, which I've, you know, always thought of you as an organization that it is very committed to both of those. And I've, I have the good fortune of knowing uh, some of your staff. So I know you've got great people there and it sounds like uh, they are stepping up as, as you would expect them to. Now, you know, it, it almost seems odd to do it. Um, we're all very focused on present circumstances right now, as, as we should be. Um, but, you know, as part of our talking today, I do want to uh, pull back or pull up, whatever the, the, the case might be, and look both to the, uh, the future and to the past a little bit when it comes to um, education, when it comes to learning. And, you know, one of the things I know uh, ASHA is starting to focus on is the future uh, of learning and kind of what that means and what that means for serving those members that, uh, that you've been talking about uh, effectively going forward. But, and I want to turn to that in, in just a minute, but be, before we get there, you obviously, you have a really rich history of delivering education and training to your members. Um, how, would you, how would you describe ASHA's historical vision for learning? You know, how, how has it fit into you know, the organization's overall value proposition, um, you know, in, the, in those years leading up to today? You know, I, I, um, I, from what I know of ASHA's history, I, I think learning was a key reason why ASHA was uh, formed to begin with and has continued to be a fundamental uh, thread throughout our history. Um, like many associations, you know, ASHA was founded by a group of about 25 individuals. And when you read some of their early uh, notes and records, uh, it's clear that a key reason that they founded the organization was to share the learnings with one another, to help support, to learn with and from one another, um, and also to help assure that these would be professions that were knowledge-based. If you think back to 1925, 
you know, there were, um, uh, if you've seen the King's speech, for example, um, you know, there were a variety of uh, unproven techniques and approaches and assumptions about how individuals with a speech language hearing uh, communication uh, disorder or problem were treated. And so I think sharing the learning and assuring that the field uh, is knowledge-based were fundamental core principles to the very founding of the organization. And then if you look at the history, um, very soon thereafter, within the first couple of years, uh, individual, they st- the organization started holding conventions. Um, they started publishing journals. So again, that, you know, that commitment to um, being knowledge-based. Um, early, pretty early on, uh, ASHA began accrediting the graduate programs in audiology and speech language pathology. We currently accredit all 300 plus of those graduate programs in the United States. And then uh, back in the early 1950s, um, ASHA launched a certification program to help assure that individuals who are entering the practice of the professions are competent to do so. And um, a part of that uh, certification program uh, some years later became uh, continuing professional development as uh, one of the requirements for maintaining one certification. So o- over time, I think the way that this commitment has been um, operationalized has grown and expanded. Um, so at this point, as we look at ourselves in the year 2020, um, ASHA, as I said, accredits graduate programs. We certify individuals. We um, approve 550 plus other providers, additional providers of ASHA continuing education units. We ourselves are a provider of continuing education opportunities. Um, We have uh, units in our office that interface with uh, our members in the academic community. So there's a variety of um, very specific programs and activities that ASHA engages in, um, in that are learning related, um, whether it's how one learns to prepare and come into the field or how one continues to uh, stay current and grow and evolve over the course of one's career. So that's been, from a historical perspective, um, I think that's been a very robust and um, uh, core aspect of the organization's history and growth. Well, and, and, and you you made the move, uh, at least I, I perceive it as Asha having made the move pretty early on and, and pretty decisively to move into online uh, learning in, in a variety of formats. I mean, online courses, but you also do online conferences. Um, I, I don't know, you know, when, when you entered the picture around that, but uh, is, what, what, what made it possible? Because so many organizations still have not really realized the promise of, of online learning in terms of expanding their offerings here, having a rich portfolio of offerings here. What made it possible for, for ASHA to, to make that move and to, and, and to be a, a strong online provider? Well, that's a great observation and, and an excellent question. And I don't know that I can answer it in a truly objective, quantitative uh, manner. But as I think about your question, I think 
at least a key factor that made it possible was have was the um, the collaborative partnership relationship um, that characterizes um, how our volunteer leaders, our members who are volunteer leaders within ASHA, and our staff leaders um, who have responsibility for uh, managing and running and executing our various programs, um, the way that those folks are able to work together in a true partnership. So I think we have been fortunate to have um, individuals who have been really um, uh, focused on, if that's the right word, or uh, disciplined about um, not only looking internally, um, but looking at what are we hearing from members? What are we seeing around us? Um, and really being um, in sync with what's happening in the world of adult education, adult learning, and how can we use those um, existing and evolving methods and opportunities to help meet our members' needs. And so now you're obviously tuned into the the fact that, that times are changing. Um, you know, you, you've been online for a while now, but even just being online now is not that's not the the, the solution. That's not the the only uh, solution or the complete solution. And you're consciously focusing as an organization. I know um, uh, at ASHA, I mean, bringing people together, having the conversation around what does the, the future of learning look like? So when we look at it, 2030, 2040, 2050, uh, what, what kind of, uh, of learning support, what kind of learning experience does ASHA need to be delivering as an organization? What, I mean, what sparked that? You know, why, why did you determine we really need to, to, to focus on this right now? It's an important part of, I assume, the future of ASHA uh, as an organization. And then what, what steps are you taking to kind of get a grip on the, the, the future of learning and, and, and the role that ASHA is going to need to play? Well, uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, it's being focused on the future of learning and the implications that has for our professions and for our organization is a really important priority right now. It is actually one of uh, my CEO goals uh, for, for last year and again for this year. Uh, in um, agreement between myself and our board of directors. And it, it really um, came up on the radar screen for several of us um, in a couple of different ways, Jeff. So um, we're aware of, again, you know, kind of that outward looking, the environmental scanning, we're aware that the how, when, where, why that individuals learn is changing dramatically in terms of um, the what's driving the the need uh, for new information. You probably know better than me, but I believe a statistic I've heard is that the shelf life, if you will, of um, professional content uh, that a new graduate um, has when they enter their field lasts for about five years. So that's very sobering to know that um, within those five years and an on, an on an ongoing basis, folks are not only going to need to learn new things in order to stay current, they're going to have to unload the old things that are no longer um, reflective of the best knowledge. So we 
have been for a while, for a couple of years now, having conversations internally about what are those implications as they relate to uh, the continuing education offerings that ASHA provides or how ASHA approves other providers of continuing education, how we um, plan and organize and deliver our annual convention, um, what we um, require by way of our accreditation standards or our certification standards. Um, But we realized that the way we were operating, we were tending to have those conversations in a bunch of verticals. So our Council for Clinical Certification was talking about a lot of this. And our Council for Academic Accreditation was talking about it. And our Continuing Education Board was talking about it. And the staff uh, managers in those areas were part of those conversations. But we weren't having conversations um, in any systematic way across those programs. And so for the first time in December of last year, we brought all of the volunteer leaders, well, the chairs of those committees, boards, councils, and all of the staff leaders, the managers of those programs, together for a generative conversation. And we began to realize that for the first time, I think we had a more explicit awareness that this really is an ecosystem. It's a learning ecosystem. And we need to be approaching this, yes, um, in, in kind of a hybrid way, Um, Yes, on a program-by-program basis, but also um, in a manner where we're doing some of this work with one another. So one example is um, right now in our certification requirements, they are still rather um, hours-based. You have to have so many hours of uh, continuing professional development to satisfy your certification maintenance. Well, we know that that's not necessarily the best way to approach learning um, and, the, and measuring learning. So for, cert, for our certification program to go more to a competency-based model, they have to be in sync with what's happening in the accreditation um, set of standards, what's happening in the um, uh, continuing education offerings from that that ASHA's providing or that those other approved providers are providing. So it really requires some integrated collaboration. So are there particular trends in learning that you know you've you've discovered that you're finding exciting and, and potentially valuable for your members? So one of the things that, uh, a really exciting thing, I think, that came out of the generative discussion that we had in December was a, a, a different um, way of looking at the, the purpose of the learning offerings that uh, an organization like ASHA um, makes available. And, and to look at it as um, more of a person, how, how do we Um, evolve our programs and our offerings so that the user, the member, experiences them as um, a roadmap. Um, That may not be the right word, but um, uh, as an opportunity uh, to help, first of all, inform their own self-awareness and then help them customize and personalize their learning needs and objectives 
across the span of their career. Um, right now, like a lot of other learning requirements, um, be it for licensure or other certification uh, programs, there's not, um, members can choose to take an earned continuing education in something in an area that um, they may already have substantial expertise, or they can take a, a learning experience, a learning event in an area where they are not likely to put it into practice. It may not be practice relevant. Um, so how do we help build more of a integrated approach where we help members, we meet members where they are throughout different points of their career. Um, we help members to have a high level of self-awareness of what their strong areas of knowledge and skills may be and areas where there may be gaps that they want to think about addressing and help them be able to customize um, what that learning experience uh, looks like at that phase of their career. And so, you know, Asha is, is focused on this now. And I, you know, I said before, I, I sort of think of you as a, as a leader, you, you tend to be a, a bit ahead of the curve. Um, but I also feel like we're in a, a time now where, you know, obviously this need for, for lifelong learning is very strong. The need for more integrated approaches, like you were just talking about, uh, is strong. And it just seems like such an incredible opportunity for organizations that are serving a profession, serving a field to, to really be the, the leaders in thinking about this and, and, and thinking about the future of learning and, and, uh, and, and delivering on that. And, but I, I like to, you know, ask particularly uh, organizational leaders uh, when I have the opportunity to talk to them about this. I feel like when I read about lifelong learning in the mainstream media, that most of the focus tends to be on what academia is doing. So you hear about, you know, continuing education, what's going on at colleges, um, and then maybe about what the corporate sector is doing. But I very rarely see associations mentioned. And I'm thinking about, you know, reading in a, a publication like Forbes, for example, or the New York Times, you know, just the kind of mainstream type media. I, I'm wondering, does, does that jive with your experience at all? Or am I just missing something? And and regardless of that, um, I mean, how do you think association leaders from executive teams to, to boards um, might best think about the role of their organizations and in, in supporting that, that need for lifelong learning that I just uh, referenced? Yeah. Um, well, knowing you, Jeff, I, I suspect it's not you who's missing something, but I think, um, you know, maybe some of the um, articles that you cited um, maybe it's the media that's missing something or maybe Probably. maybe us in the association community aren't doing a, as good a job as we need to in terms of um, telling our story, but also um, uh, being um, uh, proactive about the um, kinds of, if you will, societal benefit that we deliver so we know um, the American Society of Association Executives has done research. There's data to support that the largest provider of post-formal education, of ongoing professional development, of adult learning, is associations. Now, that doesn't mean each and every association um, is focused on or highly engaged, but collectively, that's how most 
adults in the United States um, learn on an ongoing basis. Um, so, you know, if you think about what that means, um, if you think of any uh, profession that you might engage, you know, an architect, an attorney, an accountant, and that's just in the A's, you know, <laughs> we're hoping and assuming when we engage anyone, we're hoping and assuming that they are current in their knowledge of their field. And, you know, they, the prime, again, the primary way that uh, people are able to do that is through associations. Now, it might be, you know, formal education uh, through uh, earning continuing education or taking a webinar or going to a conference. Um, it could also be accessing the resources and the tools and the information. That's learning also um, that an association makes available. So, you know, from my background and experience in the association community, I truly believe we play a huge role in terms of um, adult learning. And I think with that comes a significant responsibility to do it well and to be aware of um, how members' behaviors, how members' needs, um, how the preferences in terms of how and when uh, and why people want to access um, information and knowledge, how that's changing. So I, I think we deliver a huge societal benefit, and that's part of why we have earned the designation, the tax designation, as a nonprofit organization. And, and with that, as I said a few minutes ago, comes a big responsibility to understand and do it as well and as effectively as possible for the benefit of our members and for the benefit of those who our members provide services to. Well, and I think you're right that um, probably the the story just isn't being told well enough um, or, or, or the media does need, needs to do a little bit better research because the data is, is definitely there. Um, I think that... Uh, and you know this is why it's so great to have somebody like you on the podcast because it helps to tell that story, and we've certainly echoed that uh, perspective time and time again that associations really are providing a huge societal benefit. We talk about the the third sector of education, this whole you know other sixty years that happens after people finish a university degree if they're lucky enough to to get one. Um, that's kind of a third sector of education, and associations really are at the backbone of it. Uh, so I do hope we see you know, more recognition of that in, in the media. It's kind of uh, one of the, the greatest benefits out there that's hidden in, in, in plain sight, uh, so to speak. Well said. Yeah. So, well said on all counts. I agree. So to uh, just kind of pulled up to that that high level uh, perspective there, I'd like to go go down to the personal level now as we um, start to wrap up our conversation and and ask you a question that we like to ask of uh, everybody who who comes on the show. This this being a learning show, we like to uh, learn a bit about your your personal uh, learning and and specifically the the question we ask is. What's one of the most powerful learning experiences you've been involved in as an adult since finishing your formal education? Um, well, it feels like every day has the opportunity for learning. Um, for me, Jeff, you know, we were talking earlier about these really unusual circumstances. Um, being in, in situations, and not that these are unwanted circumstances, obviously, but maybe, you know, on a more positive note, um, I've had the opportunity to uh, 
traveled to a number of different countries. For me, being in an environment, whether it's a, a set of circumstances, a situation, a culture um, where it's unfamiliar, and I have to be open to uh, learning and understanding in order to be able to um, be successful in that environment or those circumstances, um, th that's really powerful. Um, being, being in a situation where um, it's different and I have to think differently. I have to um, be able to be open to learning new information and approaching decision-making um, without the tried and true. For me, those are really powerful learning experiences. Well, that's that's great. That uh, that encapsulates something I've been talking about so much lately. Is our our need as individuals to to be more conscious of the fact that uh, we are constantly in learning situations, um, and to be intentional about taking advantage uh, of those learning situations. And as you said, ensuring that we're actually open to that learning happening. It seems in the world we live in today. I'm sure it's always been true, but it just seems so so urgent now for for everybody to to do that. So. Well, Arlene, um, thanks so much for, for taking the, the time to come on the, the Leading Learning Podcast. If, if listeners want to know a little bit more about you, possibly connect with you, and of course, you know, find out more about uh, what ASHA does, what, what place or places should they go for that? So the best place is um, the ASHA website. My bio and email are up there. Um, and uh, I would welcome um, any outreach or contact. Well, great. And we'll be sure to, to put those in the show notes for this episode. Arlene, thank you again for being a guest on Leading Learning. Thank you, Jeff. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Appreciate all that you do. That concludes the interview with Arlene Pytranton. To get show notes, go to leadinglearning.com slash episode 236, and the show notes will include the reflection question. What does the future look like for your learning business? What are the long-term implications of the current situation? And what do you need to be thinking about and planning for, even as you have to address pressing short-term needs? When you check out the show notes, you'll also see the various options for subscribing to the podcast. If you're getting value out of what you hear, we'd be truly grateful if you would subscribe. It helps us to get some data on the impact of what we're doing. We'd also be grateful if you would take a minute to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. If you go to leadinglearning.com slash Apple, that will put you in the right place. Jeff and I personally appreciate your rating, but even more importantly, reviews and ratings help the podcast show up when people search for content on leading a learning business. Finally, consider following us and sharing the good word about leading learning. You can find us on Twitter by going to leadinglearning.com slash Twitter, on Facebook at leadinglearning.com slash Facebook, and on LinkedIn at leadinglearning.com slash LinkedIn. We also encourage you to use the hashtag leading learning on each of those channels. Wherever and however you do it, please do follow us and help spread the word about leading learning. Thanks again and see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast.